Uh, welcome, everybody. It gives me um, a lot of pleasure to welcome uh, Jeffrey Checkel to the Mershon Center in Ohio State. He reminded me he hasn't been here for uh, about 10 years, so I'm glad he's due for another visit. Um, Jeffrey is the Simons Chair in International Law and Human Security, the School for National Studies at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, in Canada. And for the previous 10 years, he was um, a professor in the Department of Political Science in Oslo, in Norway. I don't know whether Jeff would agree with how I've periodicized his career. I won't agree, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. But the, w the way I understand it <laughs> is um, coming out of uh, grad school, he wrote a very, very important book called Ideas in International Political Change, which was a early contribution to the debate about um, how uh, Gorbachev came to become Gorbachev and how the Cold War ended and how the Soviet Union collapsed. And it still uh, is a, a competitive hypothesis, um, probably the, you know, the single best English language book other than uh, uh, Robert English's uh, book on the same topic. And then uh, Jeff started working on the issues of socialization and normative change and norm entrepreneurship, if you will, in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, which resulted in a string of uh, articles, uh, most importantly, International Organization and the European Journal of International Relations. Kind of along with that, and continuing to this day, Jeff has written a lot about uh, constructivism, methodology, and rationalism, uh, and the relationship among those three. And this has resulted in numerous articles in EJR and Comparative Political Studies, um, and, fi and third, I'm sorry, so finally, what he's going to talk about today is, is uh, for the fourth wave of Jeff Chekel, perhaps, uh, and that is on civil war. So let me um, welcome you, Jeff. Nice to see you again. Good luck. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. If you don't like anything you hear today, it's his fault, Okay. Second year as a graduate student, I was at MIT, and it was an exchange program at Columbia. So I went down to take courses at Columbia. And they had grad students being TAs in the courses, so I had him as a TA. So if there's any problems, conceptual, methodological, theoretical, of any sort you have today, it's his fault. Um, but thank you. That was a very nice uh, introduction. Uh, Indeed, I mean, uh, oh, so there's a, a one-page handout going around. Everybody get that? That's just, uh, I don't like PowerPoint and those kinds of things. That's just a simple outline of, give you a sense of what I'm going to talk about. Um, and I should begin with, well, not an apology, but an ouch about the title I gave Beth way back when she asked me about this talk. I mean, the title is dreadfully boring. Causal Mechanisms and the Transnational Dynamics of Civil War. Sorry about that. I had indigestion or something when I gave her the title. I mean, it's, it's a talk about an, an, a project on civil war, okay? And civil war is probably or is the, the dominant form of organized violence in a contemporary political system. So it is rather um, something important to be addressed for all kinds of theoretical reasons that I'll talk about, but also obviously for, for a lot of policy reasons given the the ongoing uh, conflicts we have that are not resolved or keep reoccurring and, and the like. So, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's a talk and a project about civil war. And 
it's about a bit more specifically the, the, the transnational or international context within which civil wars are embedded. Now, now, why make that move? Well, I could just start by saying, sort of read the headlines that you're all familiar with from, from looking at papers of any sort. Civil wars re- rarely seem to play out within the boundaries of, of one state. Uh, you read about rebel groups in the Congo or elsewhere recruiting across borders. Uh, there's a big argument about the diffusion of conflict across borders and the key role paid played by ethnicity across those borders in creating networks. Uh, you have a number of examples in sub-Saharan, oh, in Africa, of state leaders using transnational armed groups to fight proxy wars uh, in, in another state's civil war. Uh, think about diasporas, right? Uh, think about Sri Lanka last year. Uh, diaspora networks, their involvement with ongoing civil conflict of a positive sort, trying to damp it down, or a not so positive sort, providing finances, resources for for the conflict. So, I mean, there there is arguably uh, a prima facie case that can be made that this transnational international context of, of civil war is is something that should be studied, and that that's what we're interested in. Um, in this project, and if you sort of situate that in the broader kind of IR discourse, I mean, it's, it's the same thing IR has been discovering over and over again in, in all kinds of subfields and research programs, right? That it's almost become a truism to argue that the external, the internal, the global and the local, the state and non-state actors are inextricably linked. And there's all kinds of research programs in IR that have been doing this for a couple of decades now. Um, so to capture outcomes of interest to both uh, scholars and policymakers, you have to explain interactions across those levels, and that's basically what what we're trying to to get at in in this in this project. So that's a little bit about the title. To specify it a bit more, hopefully a bit more excitingly than what the title suggests, this is all about. Now, uh, again, by way of introduction, I should say a little bit uh, about myself. Ted said all the nice things. That's very polite of him. I should say the not-so-nice things. I'm just kind of strange, right? If you look at the Mirshan webpage in, in for the, my talk, Beth, uh, Beth asked me you know, to send her a picture, and I could not find any good pictures. So there's a picture of me in front of the Matterhorn, uh, a mountain in Switzerland. Um, so I really love to climb mountains. Um, that's what I really love to do, but I won't talk about that today. But what I want to do say is sort of about my, my own background, which actually is important for, for the comments today, is, is the approach I've always thought we should have towards, towards theory development in, in international relations, or it's the approach I've always adopted. And on the handout, I think I give the, the fancy uh, social science term for, for what I do. It's called the, the pooper-scooper approach. Uh, I guess you have to be sort of a dog person or a horse person, maybe to fully understand what a pooper scooper is. Uh, but the idea here, well, pooper scoopers are the ones that can praise and come behind the horses and sort of pick up the mess the horses leave, right? Pooper scooper, scoop up the poop. Um, so the idea here is there are sort of theoretical trailblazers who go and blaze a new theoretical paradigm, put forth an argument, and then that often leaves a lot of stuff not so clear or underspecified or missing dynamics or missing mechanisms. And somebody has to sort of come along 
afterwards and clean up the mess, as it were, sort of be the, the pooper scooper. Um, and that's actually the way I've always sort of thought about a useful way to make contributions to international relations and international relations theory. And it does actually have implications, to get more serious, for, for what we're trying to do in this project on, on transnationalism and, and civil war. Uh, very specifically, we're, we're less interested in producing uh, some kind of general theory of transnationalized civil war okay, that applies across time, time and space. Rather, the goal here is to fill in gaps and get disparate literatures talking with better substantive knowledge of civil war being, being the result. In terms of filling gaps, uh, we're trying to move the civil war literature from uh, a large part of where it's been in recent years, focusing on what I'll call causal effects, to looking more at, at causal mechanisms. Um, in terms of talking across literatures, uh, an important goal we have here is to get transnationalists and who are really their fellow travelers, constructivists, um, to recognize uh, that when they look at transnational stuff in global politics, they need to understand there's an awful lot of bad transnationalism out there. So it's not just for the NGOs, global civil society, that's important transnational stuff to theorize. Uh, there's rebel groups recruiting us across borders. There's diasporas financing civil wars that we also need to theorize. So we need to be theorizing transnationalized violence as well, which I think is something that, that has been, been overlooked in, in a good bit of the constructivist literature on, on transnationalism. So, so basically, in, in the project, we argue to address these sorts of issues, one and try to get some answers to them, you need to make three, three moves, an analytic, a theoretical, and a methodological move. Analytically, we argue, you need a more robust understanding of causality, where the goal is the measurement of causal mechanisms and not simply establishing causal effects. Theoretically, the finding of transnationalism's importance in civil war, and this is a very big finding that's come out of some of the really interesting quantitative work on civil war in recent years, um, this finding needs to be linked to existing literatures and other subfields that have extensively conceptualized and empirically documented such non-state dynamics. And this indeed is the work on transnationalism in IR theory and uh, a bit in, in sociology. Uh, methodologically, the central challenge is really practical and operational uh, to establish a roster of techniques and appropriate community standards for mechanism-based social <laughs> science. So to go back to my silly little phrase, I mean, what we're trying to do a bit in the project is sort of clean up the mess, and mess isn't really the right term here, left by the, um, the trailblazers in the Civil War, transnationalism, and, and mechanism literatures. I just started going blind earlier this year. I need glasses, and I still forget to sort of take them out at the beginning of the talk. Um, sorry about that. Uh, so I can read my, my notes here. Um, Okay, so that's sort of the, the, the big sort of macro argument of, of the project. So what I want to do today then, in about 30, 35 minutes, and leave plenty of time for, for your comments and reactions, um, I'm going to focus more on the Civil War mechanism part of the project, but, but I'm happy in the question and answer to come back to the Civil War transnationalism aspect as, as well. And in focusing on sort of the mechanism part, I, I want to do three, three things, which you can actually see laid out on, on the handout. 
begin by saying a little bit more about causal mechanisms, a little bit about how they're conceptualized, and equally important, the methodological question of, of how you measure them. And then secondly, bring it down to the topic of concern, how, what is the work we see being done on causal mechanisms in work on contemporary civil war? And then third, sort of address and, and try to answer and rebut the, the common or a common sort of criticism and concern that's raised that can you really do this kind of mechanism-based social science when you're looking at situations of, of violent civil conflict. Now, two comments by, by way of contextualizing what I want to say. Um, the paper, which I sent to Ted, which I guess is on the, the website, and there's copies here if people want it later. Um, that's the draft framework essay for a larger collaborative project on transnationalized civil war where we do try to connect the mechanisms, civil war and, and transnationalism literatures. Um, that project is currently midstream, um, <clears throat> which means I'll report today more on the setup and conceptualization than on the detailed substantive findings. I'll try to give you a sense of what we're doing later on in the talk, but the, the detailed findings are really coming at a final workshop we have in, in Oslo uh, later, later, this, later this year. Okay, so let me begin uh, a little bit on, on causal mechanisms. Um, what do I, the yeah, conceptual methodological issues. Now, a, a tiny bit of background, I'm sure you probably all know, but just to make sure we're, we're all on, on the same wavelength here, um, the, about cause, okay? I mean, you know, there's, there's sort of, it comes in two flavors, two ways to think about it. Causes covariation, cause, causes process. Uh, Cause via correlations, right? Okay, that's a statistical relation between two or more variables, such as a systematic change in the value of one variable is accompanied by a systematic change in the other. All right, you probably all know that, I'm sure. Um, so if you're studying two things, A and B, car, color, and accident rate, and if you change A, then there'll be a change in B if they are correlated, if they co-vary. But of course, correlation doesn't imply that A caused B. Okay, painting all cars yellow produces a lower accident rate. But exactly what produced a lower accident rate? The color yellow, that women like yellow and women are safer drivers, okay, or something else. And that then leads to this second understanding of cause, cause via mechanisms. Involves the effort to explain how observed phenomena are brought about to specify the causal mechanisms that generate those features of the world for which we wish to account. So to continue that example, what was the mechanism generating the lower accident rate? Was it cognitive and sensory, more easily detecting a bright color, or was it social and gendered? the socialization of women to like bright colors. This is, don't get mad about my gender here. This is just a made, made up example. Although I think in Vancouver anyway, women are much nicer drivers than men. There's my sample there. Um, or was it social and gendered? Uh, the socialization of women to like bright colors and therefore be less aggressive than men. Um, my concern today is larger, is, la is largely with this latter version of causation, right? Cause via mechanisms. 
And then that's for two straightforward reasons. A conceptual methodological reason is that there's lots of interest in causal mechanisms uh, in empirical applied work that I see coming across my, my desk in all, in all sorts of ways, but a bit still too much sort of loose mechanism talk and, and that the term is invoked, but I'm not really sure people understand the methodological and data implications that, that, that come along with uh, invoking the phrase causal mechanisms. So there's a sort of conceptual methodological reason to focus on, on, the, on mechanisms and a substantive one, um, which is simply to try to push forward and contribute to this rather vibrant research program on, on civil war. Okay. So example, one, one very important finding in, in the quantitative work on civil war is that there's clearly a relationship between a conflict, a civil conflict, and having ethnic brethren on a bordering in a nearby border, right? Uh, and that having them there somehow plays into the dynamics of, of the civil conflict. And this finding has been replicated several times now, but what exactly is it? What is that connection? Uh, are the brethren across the border providing resources, right? Material resources, feeding in money, guns, whatever. Are they serving as a recruitment pool? Are they providing cognitive discursive frames that help the rebel civil group uh, reshape uh, the, the discursive dynamics in a particular national setting? We actually we don't really know the, the answer to those latter set of questions yet. We have an interesting relationship, but we don't understand what, what is connecting the two, the two factors. So that's a substantive reason to focus on mechanisms to try to contribute to this, this work on, on civil war. Okay, now a little bit more then about causal mechanisms. What do we know in terms of conceptualization? Well, quite a lot actually, because I mean, there's been a lot out there in philosophy of social science and, and philosophy on, on mechanisms for, for a long time. But the last seven, eight, ten years, a lot of work by political scientists, social scientists, um, at a more sort of operational level to get a consensus understanding of what a mechanism is and what it is not. Um, so six or seven years ago, I think it was Jim Mahoney of Northwestern could write this piece documenting like 25 definitions of causal mechanism floating around the literature. I think we've begun to, to narrow this down in part because of the work of people like Jim Mahoney, John Gary at Boston University, uh, Renata Mates, excuse me, uh, in, in Germany. Um, and in the project, we actually make quite a bit of use, because I think it's good, of, of Gehring's work here. Um, he had a survey a couple of years ago, a survey article on causal mechanisms, and we basically build on what he talks about there to define a causal mechanism as the pathway or process by which an effect is produced or purpose is accomplished. So mechanisms are relational. They capture this element of process. And I think there's a lot of good to Gehring's approach. It's allowed us and others sort of to get on with it, to get down to the nitty-gritty of thinking, okay, that is a mechanism. What kind of data do we need to, to actually capture it? What kind of method should we be using to, to measure the mechanism? in action, that's all very good uh, about this sort of broad tent approach that, that Gehring has, has sketched out and that we have adopted. 
But, I mean, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and I should honestly say that this, this approach um, skirts over some, some issues that a lot of people have skirted over, um, a lot of people using causal mechanisms. Uh, and it's actually a deeper um, epistemological set of issues. Um, and it, it's, it's um, well, basically, the move to causal mechanisms has not been accompanied, by and large, by any deeper um, meta-theoretical reflection. And what I'm getting at here, I mean, there's a bit of a mismatch between the growing use of mechanism-based thinking in political science and the continuing adherence by many, most, some, I'm not sure what I should say in Columbus, Ohio, but to, to positivism, uh, okay, and that's, that's really at odds with thinking of causality in terms of, of mechanisms. And just to give you a little example of, of, of the issue here, I mean, think of um, a very important, probably still quite popular methods textbook, even though it's, it's 15 years old, by King, Kilhane, and Verba, um, Designing Social Inquiry. It has a particular take on causation, as causal effects, okay? Um, and it took about a decade, as far as I could tell, for sort of people to pick, there were a lot of critiques and reviews of that, that book, uh, but they were largely sort of, you know, in-house critiques sort of saying, you know, you could have offered some better advice here on this kind of design point, this, that, and the other. Only the last three or four years have some more foundational critiques emerged that basically pointed out um, the point I want to make here is that their epistemological starting point in that book, okay, which is basically positivism, meant they really had nothing to say about causations occurring through mechanisms. Okay. Which is kind of odd if, if we're using that a lot to, to, to train graduate students, and a lot of graduate students are interested in causal mechanisms, but it, it's a book that actually doesn't have much to say on how you would go about thinking about and measuring causal mechanisms. And again, this is not, I mean, I think this is true, but it, it, this has been a critique made in particular by Jim Johnson of Rochester in a very nice piece he published in, in Comparative Political Studies uh, to, in, in March 2006. It's basically an extended book review of, of the King, Kilhane, and, and Verba piece on, on this epistemological sort of mismatch between uh, the philosophical starting point and, and this understanding of cause embedded in that starting point. Now, you might all be yawning and say, who cares, so what? It's meta-theory. Chekhov hung out in Europe too much, so he's kind of blabbers about meta-theory like most European IR people. Um, well, but I mean, I think it actually does matter. I'm not just getting hung up on it for, because I've hung out in Europe for too many years. Uh, you know, methods and methodological standards flow from underlying epistemological positions. I mean, that's true, okay? Um, now, as I'll talk about in a few minutes, one of the key methods that's often invoked for measuring mechanisms, mechanisms is something called process tracing. Uh, but to this day, we do not have a good understanding of what the community standards are for good, what counts as good process tracing. I think part of the problem there is the sort of underlying confusion about what the philosophical foundation behind process tracing is. Bennett and George, who have done so much on this topic, uh, their 2005 uh, book on case studies, it's, it's sort of buried in a footnote in one of the chapters. 
about this sort of philosophical mismatch uh, between process tracing and, and, and positivism as a philosophical foundation. So I think it is actually an issue. And to some extent, we, we put this issue aside in, in the main body of what we're doing. But to be fair to us, and we don't worry, we, we, we've actually, Andy Bennett is, is a part of the project, and he's actually writing a, a chapter at the end, sort of assessing what we've done and arguing, making an argument that we really do need to be thinking more strongly in post-positivist terms to think about the, a proper philosophical foundation for for thinking about causal mechanisms. Okay, so that's what I would say in terms of conceptualization. Actually, a lot of good progress here. I mean, some deeper issues, which a lot of us maybe don't even care about in terms of epistemology, that need some attention, but at least we have the beginnings of a, a consensus definition we can go out and do empirical research with. Well, that brings up the question of methods, sort of how do you actually measure mechanisms? Uh, here, too... Lots of progress is evident over the past decade. Uh, and to give you a sense of that progress, and this is what I talk about if, if you look at the paper, uh, you can review some of the work that, that's been done on, on process tracing. Uh, now, process tracing, right, just to give it a, a definition, I mean, it's, it's what you use to identify and map the causal process, the causal chain and mechanism between the independent variable and the outcome of the dependent variable. And in the, uh, well, in, in the larger piece that's been circulated, I basically look at three, what I argue would be really are state-of-the-art discussions of process tracing. There's a chapter in, in the Bennett and George book from 2005 on process tracing. Uh, John Gehring's book from 2007 on case studies. There's, there's a chapter, co-authored chapter in there on process tracing. And then more from the contentious politics sociological literature, uh, an article uh, from 2008 by McAdam, uh, Taro, and Tilly on, on process tracing. And basically, what I say in looking at this literature is it's really good that it's out there. We actually have discussions of what process tracing is now, aside from, you know, we sort of trace the process over time. Really good discussions about what it is, uh, how you do it, or at least the beginnings of a discussion of how you do it. But, but this literature, I think, still, it doesn't go far enough in that it, it sort of fails the my best graduate student test. And what I mean by that is if sort of my best graduate student is sitting in my office across from me and you know, they say, I want to do the dissertation that involves process tracing as a key method, What's the one or two things I should look at to sort of learn? This is how you do the technique. This is how I know. This isn't how I know I'm doing the technique well. Uh, these are the issues I need to be thinking about ahead of time if I'm going to use the technique. These are the advantages of it. These are the disadvantages of it. Uh, so we're, we're missing this kind of sort of practical operational advice for uh, how you do this research to measure mechanisms. How you use something like like process tracing. Um, so when I look at the work, or when we look at the work on, on causal mechanisms, we have a sense then in this project that the conceptualization, the advances there have outrun a bit practical measurement issues. Um, and that's a hindrance for empirical advance. So given that imbalance, then, in the project, what we're trying to do is use civil war as an empirical laboratory to push mechanism-based research to this next more operational level. 
Okay, so that brings me then to, I think it's the third point. Yeah, so what about, to bring it down to the topic of this project, civil war, what do we see in terms of how causal mechanisms are being invoked, used uh, to explain various aspects of, of civil war? And we're certainly not, in this project, we're not the first, that's not the claim here at all, uh, to, to apply the language of, of causal mechanisms to civil war. There is existing and increasingly rich literature on civil war, so I need to give you a brief sense of sort of what, some, what this literature has been doing to situate what, what we're trying to do. And I'll divide this broadly into sort of a, quanti- a set of quantitative approaches to civil war and then a set of qualitative approaches, although recognizing some of the more interesting recent work, including a few of the things in our project, are using both sets of methods, uh, mixed methods. Quantitative research on civil war. This has been spearheaded over the past decade by those Scandinavians, actually. Quite a lot of people from from Scandinavia. Having lived in Norway for a decade, the the puzzling question that always gets asked Norwegians, you're such a peaceful people, you're a humanitarian superpower, and you all study civil war. So many people study civil war in Norway. It's it's, it's really... um, It's interesting. But there's this, this International Peace Research Institute in Oslo, PRIO, Okay, they have something there called the Center for the Study of Civil War, which is a big 10-year, very nicely funded international research project. Um, Uppsala has an extensive data collection effort on Uppsala University in Sweden. Uh, Uppsala and Prio cooperate. Some of the key names here would be Christian Gledich, uh, Niels Petter Gledich, uh, Scott Gates, uh, Wallenstein in, in, in Uppsala. Um, Lars Eric Sederman in, in Zurich. Um, so a lot of data collection efforts, uh, getting data sets, getting increasingly sophisticated data sets using GPS, uh, subnational, disaggregated data sets to capture some of these obvious subnational dynamics of civil war that the earlier data sets weren't capturing or capturing these transnational aspects that earlier data sets were not capturing. So a lot of very, very sophisticated um, and, and state-of-the-art in a quantitative sense work on civil war. Now, you look at that stuff, and it's basically been great at establishing cause, in, as you, no surprise, in the humane, as in John Hume's sense, of constant conjunction and covariation. It's been weaker at establishing cause in the mechanism-based sense, but to really, by and large, what, what they're not doing. So it, it's not sort of like... Uh, a, a big criticism. Um, what is surprising is is two things. First of all, there's an increasing invocation of mechanisms in this literature. Um, that's the term, causal mechanisms. Uh, but without, I think, sufficient appreciation of the data and methods needed to document them. Second thing that's somewhat surprising, there's an overwhelming, uh, I shouldn't say overwhelming, there's an unexplained assumption that mechanisms always and only flow from instrumental understandings of rationality. Uh, Basically, you're connected sort of underlying rational choice argument. Now, why that would be so, if you know sort of the social theoretic literature on causal mechanisms, 
one of the things that makes it so appealing, at least to people like me, is what the social theorists tell you is, you know, we're socially theoretically neutral. Causal mechanisms can be attached to a rational choice framework and argument. They can be attached to many constructivist frameworks and arguments. But the quantitative literature on civil war, by and large, the implicit, sometimes explicit understanding is causal mechanisms only are connected to instrumental understandings of rationality. And that, that seems a bit narrowing in ways that, that, that I don't really understand. Um, so that's a kind of the quantitative work on, on civil war. Qualitative work uh, on civil war. Uh, here, some of the names would be uh, Staphis Kalivis at, at, at Yale University. Oh, <laughs> I thought somebody was really going to come. Um, Jeremy Weinstein at, at Stanford uh, on, on rebel groups and, and civil war. Uh, Elizabeth Wood at, at Yale University, her work on, on the Salvadoran civil war. Um, and, you know, before I start to review these folks, you're probably suspicious, if, if you know my background or you know it from what, what Ted has said, that I, I've kind of stacked the deck here. I'm going to come along and say, yes, the qualitative people, they're doing it right. They got the mechanisms and, you know, they're the ones to sort of just fall and step behind them. Um, well, I'm actually not going to say that, okay? Um, now, I, I, to start, though, by giving these folks some credit, I think, you know, given their case study approach, they are doing a better job at capturing causal mechanisms. Okay, uh, Elizabeth Wood is, is my exemplar here. Her 2002 or 2003 book from Cambridge on, on the Salvadoran Civil War, what led uh, individuals to rebel, uh, to overcome collective action problems, I think is, is an exemplar, is a model of how you do process-based research, capturing various kinds of causal mechanisms in, in the situation of civil conflict or, or post-civil post conflict. Um, so, you know, they are doing a, some very interesting work here on mechanisms. But even for these researchers, I think some very key challenges remain, these qualitative students of, of civil war. Conceptually, I think they need to think harder about the non-instrumental causal mechanisms and dynamics they often stress. So, for example, in Elizabeth Wood's work, um, both on the Salvadoran Civil, Civil, Salvador Civil War and elsewhere, emotions play a very important role in explaining mobilizational dynamics. I think that that work could benefit by linking it to some of the recent work that's been done elsewhere in international relations, for example, on the role of emotions and, and norms. Methodologically, they need, yes, to do their process tracing better or to be more self-conscious about it. Um, example would come from the really nice book done by Jeremy Weinstein on, on rebel groups and and civil war, he very explicitly says at, at the beginning of that book that a or the key qualitative method will be process tracing. That phrase, process tracing. Uh, but then we run into the buzzword problem, which I see all the time in stuff coming across my desk to review. Buzzword, the phrase is invoked and then it disappears. He never returns to process tracing the rest of the volume. So it's not, it's not clear sort of really what he meant by process tracing, except he's tracing the process, um, and sort of how it was executed in, in the empirical studies. 
I mean, I'm picking on him, but that's a very general problem right now and sort of how process tracing tends to get invoked as a, as a buzzword. Uh, so there's a methodological issue for these qualitative researchers. And theoretically, uh, they need to think harder about the potential downsides to the kind of theory these folks are developing. What accumulates besides list of causal mechanisms? And is that, is that kind of the way we want, is that sort of the future of social science or international or research on civil war? Just, you know, endless list of non-cumulative uh, causal mechanisms. Should we be happy with that state of affairs? So that's kind of how we're viewing the, the work on, on causal mechanisms, uh, its use. Uh, in, in work on, on contemporary civil war. And this then leads me then to, I guess it's my, um, yeah, the fourth uh, Roman numeral, what I call extensions of situations of violent conflict, thinking a little bit more about how you actually do this mechanism-based social science in, in situations of a violent conflict because for some people there's a sort of a skeptical response that there's a problem here uh, that you actually it's hard to do this okay so the argument would go you know perhaps the, the gaps the limitations that I just noted and how quantitative and qualitative scholars are approaching the study of mechanisms in the study of civil war um, perhaps those limitations are endemic to the object of study. Civil war, right? Where violence and anarchy make it just too difficult and also, very importantly, too dangerous for researchers to do systematic, rigorous, mechanism-based social science. Now, you, you pull that argument, and it's an important one to address, right? You sort of pull it apart, and, and really the crux of the matter is, is data, okay? It's availability and, and reliability. Is it there, right? Can you get enough data to reconstruct causal processes and, and, and mechanisms? And not surprising, I'm going to tell you, yes, I think the data is increasingly there, and I just want to give some, some examples of sort of the kind of data that's becoming available over the past half dozen years that, that make it feasible to do this type of mechanism-based social science, even on, uh, in, in the case of civil war. One example would be the growing number of surveys coming online. Uh, surveys that get at some extremely interesting social dynamics and processes uh, in conflict, post-conflict situations. Uh, my exemplar here is Christopher Blotman at, at Yale University. He's an economist slash political scientist who's really done some amazing survey work, um, survey of war-affected, I think it's called Sway, survey of war-affected youth in, in Uganda, um, looking to Lord's Resistance Army, a not very nice uh, rebel group, um, recruited a lot of children, right, this child soldier phenomena. Uh, he's got some amazing survey results. We had him out to SFU, Simon Fraser, in the fall, to give a couple talks. Um, surveys doing the best of what surveys can do, dispelling popular myths, 
um, about who gets actually recruited, what kind of children, which which sex of children are getting recruited as as child soldiers. The prototypical sort of picture we all have, you know, is the sad picture is of a a young male, right, 12, 13, 14, with a Kalishnikov, right. Well, what Chris has found out is there's a huge number of, of, of females as well serving as, as child soldiers. Um, and he has other findings that come out of these surveys, but there's, there's a, growing number, a growing number of these kinds of surveys that people can, can make use of to get some of the data that, that would be helpful in reconstructing processes and dynamics. So that's one example of stuff coming online. Second example, interviews. I mean, literally going to the source. There's a number of PhDs in progress. Dara Cohen at Stanford, I guess she's now at Minnesota, so she's finished, um, has a number of interviews with former guerrillas, guerrilla commanders, members of guerrilla groups in Sierra Leone. Um, a number of PhDs in progress at Yale University where people are going out into the field. Sivaren uh, Otser at Columbia, who just finished a PhD a couple of years ago at NYU. As I was talking with some graduate students earlier today, she had a piece that some people may have seen published in an international organization uh, sometime in the last five or six months on the case of Congo and the failed efforts of the international community uh, to involve itself in the, in the post-conflict situation or the not very successful efforts of the international community. Um, that research is based, uh, among other things, on 350 interviews in the Congo, okay. Um, so, you know, increasingly, I mean, there are, there, are, there are serious personal security issues here. There are extremely important ethical issues uh, about not doing more harm to the, to the people you're trying to, uh, to interview or to get access to have already been through these horrific experiences. But people are going to the field and beginning to get some very interesting findings coming out of this field work. So there's this kind of stuff coming online. Third, um, I don't know if the term is sad or, or, or what, uh, but there is now the civil war sort of in their, in their current incarnation and going on long enough that some people are successfully transiting out of being combatants and in some cases writing memoirs. Okay, uh, the prototypical example here is Ishmael, and I always mispronounce his last name, B-A-B-E-A-H, B-A, I'm not sure, um, who got an undergraduate degree in political science in Ohio, not here, okay, went to another university in Ohio uh, several years ago, get an undergraduate degree in political science. He's written a memoir, a book in English, and a couple of articles, I think one showed up in the New York Times Sunday Magazine, Talking about his experience as a child soldier. Why did he, how was he recruited? How did he get out? What were the motivations? What went on within, uh, within the guerrilla group from his perspective as a child soldier? Um, now, of course, that's a memoir. All memoirs are written with a purpose, right? It's, it's, it's no different than you know, reading memoirs about the history of European integration or the people involved in, in the Soviet foreign policy revolution. They're memoirs, right? They're retrospective looks back. You've got to take them with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, it's another additional source of data coming online that is valuable in reconstructing the types of dynamics you want to reconstruct to capture these causal mechanisms and processes. Final source of data, not so much a new source of data, but 
thinking harder about something that's been there all along in, in studies of civil war. Um, the colloquial term to use, uh, I think it was straight coined by Liam Fuji at, at George Washington, there's all those lies, right? Um, you go out to the field to talk to people involved in civil conflict or who have been involved in civil conflict, they have huge strategic incentives, right, to tell you a story, to lie, uh, to dissimulate. Um, and, and how do you deal with that, okay? Um, well, part of the answer is you... <laughs> If you've done an interview in any context, I've done it in cushy European institutions where people often would dissimulate to me as well, okay? Um, and the way you deal with that, and there's been a couple of pieces now by, by Liam Fuji and then Libby Wood, is, is sort of have a broad sense of the context, make sure you've done your work ahead of time, and then you, you get very quick sense that a particular interviewee is feeding you a line, right? Is, is lying, and that, that in itself is a useful source of of data and information when it's integrated in the broader context of what you know about a particular process and, and dynamic. So all these new or new ways of thinking about data we already have suggest there, there's some optimism for, or good grounds for optimism for being able to do this kind of mechanism-based work on, even on uh, the sort of, call it the hard case of, of civil war. And then my final argument for why this should be um, doable to do kind of mechanism-based research on, on, on civil war it has nothing to do with, with new evidence and has everything to do with, with my own background. And as Ted alluded to, um, although I don't think he used that pejorative term, I mean, he and I were trained as, can I put you there too, Sovietologists? Is that okay? Um, Right? We studied the former Soviet Union. Um, you know, with all the kind of arcane things we were taught about, you know, very rigorous methods of looking at Lenin's mausoleum and seeing who was sitting next to who on, on the various birthdays and who had been airbrushed out of the picture and reading in between the lines of what the newspapers said and what they really meant to say. Um, but, I mean, it's true, we were trained as Sovietologists, and Ted did mention my, my first project, my dissertation, was um, about the end of the Cold War. Um, it was all about the process and, and causal mechanisms within the Soviet Union uh, that led to this somewhat unexpected peaceful end and, and the role of Richoff and these other people played. Now, the Soviet Union, back in the late 80s, early 1990s, was not Congo. Okay, It was not uh, uh, anarchic, fallen apart, failed state. Um, with high levels of civil violence, but it was not exactly an easy place. Soviet institutions were not known exactly for being easy to access, right? Okay, but I was still nonetheless able to do, to put together, to gather evidence, to make mechanism-based arguments about the causal dynamics that led to the end of the Cold War. So that's kind of my own personal background that leads me to be somewhat optimistic that it's possible to do this kind of mechanism-based research on, on, how should we put it, uh, more opaque areas of, of world politics. So that's the problem that often gets sketched out and, and sort of the beginnings of a sort of an answer to that problem. But more specifically then, what we're trying to do in the project is to exploit these new data sources to document the mechanisms and processes of transnationalized civil conflict. Let me just give you three, three examples of, of sub-projects we have going on 
in, in the bigger one. One is, is a study by, by Kristen Baca at the University College London looking at Chechnya, okay, in the Russian Federation, where, where she's done quite extensive field work. Again, not exactly a, a, an easy place to have, have done field work. Um, and you all know there's been some rather violent civil conflict there over the past decade. Uh, Kristen, in her study for us, is looking at the interaction between these domestic insurgents in Chechnya and their brethren, their, their collaborators located outside Chechnya transnationally. And she's basically asking for what mechanisms do transnational insurgents affect the mobilization process of domestic rebels in Chechnya. And her argument is part of what's going on is they bring about shifts in the framing of a rebel group's ends within Chechnya. Um, and in part, they enhance the resource mobilization. So she's, she's taking some causal mechanisms, actually, if you know it from some social movement literature, uh, and applying them to the case, this particular case of transnationalized civil conflict in, in, in Chechnya. Second example, uh, Jay Liao at, at Yale University is, is looking at Afghanistan, and particularly the Afghan-Pakistan uh, border, uh, and basically is, is asking what are the causal mechanisms responsible for the transnational diffusion of violence from a conflict zone, post-September 11 Afghanistan, to a neighboring state, Pakistan. Uh, he has a really neat mixed method design here, getting access to some amazing data that, that he's pried out of out of the NATO and, and American uh, authorities. You, you could not believe them if you, you know the, the amount of data they are collecting about what goes on, what goes across the, the border and how they're collecting it. They, they literally can count the movements uh, and, and sort of what, what makes up the movements. So he's gotten access to some of this data. But basically, he's arguing um, the key roles are played um, by shared ethnic ties that help create and then intensify a sense of shared fate that transcends political borders, in this case, Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, and in part by the creation of new grievances that foster support for, for the Taliban. Um, a third example, Fiona Adamson, uh, again, based in London at SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies. She's looking at the role of diasporas in, in, in civil conflict, and particularly the Kurds and the Turkish, the conflict between the, uh, the Turkish government and the PKK, the Kurdish Workers' Party. And she basically asked, for what mechanisms do diasporas mobilize internationally and then intervene in civil conflict, such as that between the Kurds and the Turkish state? And again, drawing on the broader social movement literature, which is sort of one aspect of, of how um, IR transnationalists have, have thought about causal mechanisms. Um, she invokes a particular set of mechanisms, transnational brokerage, strategic framing, and persuasion as, as playing key roles that she documents in, in both this international mobilization and then having some impact on, on the conflict, in this case, in, in Turkey. Okay, those are just three kind of snippets. I wish I could give you more full-blown ones, but you'll have to invite me back, which you don't want to do probably in a year or so, to, to, to give you the, the, the full-blown nitty-gritty. But that, that's give you a sense of the kinds of empirics we're working with in the project. Okay, just to conclude then. Um, 
So the project seeks to bring uh, mechanisms and process to studies of transnationalized civil war and does so by drawing upon a growing body of theoretical and applied work on mechanisms and transnationalism. But, 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 I mean, the central storyline, just to be really clear, is not either or, either quantitative or qualitative, either comparative statics or dynamics, either instrumental or non-instrumental. Um, this means students of mechanisms and process tracing should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Their causal arguments will be more robust if they combine mechanisms and covariance. That's the whole push you're all well aware of in other contexts of mixed methods. In our project, Jay Liao, the example I gave, is, is the best exemplar of, of this utility, this kind of mixing of qualitative and quantitative, quantitative and qualitative methods. Their theoretical, theoretical accounts will be more complete if they combine instrumental and non-instrumental dynamics. If you note the examples I just gave and, and actually all the cases they combined um, both instrumental and non-instrumental dynamics. So in this sense our, our project contributes to we have a chapter at the end addressing this issue explicitly to these contemporary debates in international relations on, on so-called bridge building between instrumental, non-instrumental constructivist rational choice uh, accounts. And finally, their efforts at theory development will be better if they combine the middle-range theory they prefer with a solid appreciation of its problems and limitations. Thank you. I'm done. Do you want to field your own questions or do you want me to field the board? Do you want me to recognize people? I, I don't care. I mean, I, I, can, I can do it. I mean, it's... Uh, Um, I'll just sort of answer and then go, go to the next one. Is, 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 do you have a, is that okay? Um, start with the second question because that's easier than the first one. All right. I mean, I, they're both really good questions. Um, 
yes, we're going to do that. And it's not done in my introductory chapter now, if you're taking a look at that. And, and what's, what's in the works here, and I'll welcome some feedback or conversation, is um, we're, we're going to come up with a, not a two by two, but some kind of, a, a sort of a way to think about mechanisms as agent to agent, structure to structure, structure to agent, agent to structure, come up with different sort of kinds of mechanisms that fit within these different boxes and then some arguments about other particular methodological techniques that may be better depending upon which of these um, boxes you're in. And I think that actually will have precisely the kind of um, what, what I think anyone is looking for or what you were looking for, and it's not there yet. And we, we had this workshop in, in Vancouver two months ago where this was a very prime topic of conversation. It's, it's what I'm... Um, working on in the revision of the, the piece you guys looked at. And Andy Bennett, actually, he's done a little bit of thinking about this. I don't know if he's published it anywhere, but he's done a little bit of thinking about sort of thinking about causal mechanism in, in this kind of way, agent, agent, structure, agent, uh, structure, structure. Um, so that, that's the answer to the second question, which I think that's a good one. You're probably happy with the first one. Um, oh, boy. Um, So why do we need mechanisms if all we're doing is getting right mechanisms capturing all the stuff in between is just more observable implications right so why call that a what, what why Well, we, we are certainly. Yes, but I mean, so okay. When you talk about causal mechanisms, right? I mean, the philosophical discussion is, you know, can are they real or you know invisible in some sense? There's, there's that conversation which I won't get into now. But for us, right, the issue is we have to think: what are the observable? implications of the mechanism at work, okay? Um, and that's basically one of the big challenges people are getting or have gotten in, in their empirical chapters. They have to think very explicitly. And Kristen Baca, who's probably the furthest along, she has an excellent discussion of, you know, here's the causal mechanism I'm interested in, brokerage, whatever, she has three or four. This would be the observable implications if it was actually playing out in the Russian-Chechen case. This is what we'd expect to see. And then she goes and looks. Okay, and then considers yeah, some counterfactuals and the like, and she just does a really nice job. Um, I just lost my train of thought. I was, I was trying to answer a question about... Oh, so, right. So, yes, we have to think about the observable implications. So we're not measuring the mechanisms, right? We're measuring the observable implications of the mechanisms, and I think, and here's where I guess this is a longer conversation, but, but I think that there is something there, causal mechanism. It's not just sort of a, a causal effect of, of, a, of an observation. There's a mechanism, be it brokerage or, or persuasion or resource mobilization, I'm just taking examples, that that is actually, it's useful to think of that as a mechanism, to theorize it, and to think about what its implications are. 
and I've had this conversation before, and I'm probably not going to satisfy you, but I mean, there, there's at a deep philosophical level, there's just, just a disagreement about uh, do you need that, that, that additional language of mechanism? I think you do, and I guess sort of you have to look, look at this project when it's done a year from now and see, well, does that mechanism language actually get them some analytic mileage, or could I strip all that out? I guess that's what I'm telling you. I don't think you can strip it all out and, and still have the same payoff in the end. Yeah. Um, well, I, I saw, uh, was it right? I, okay, well, I, I saw you next, please. Uh, and then there. Talk a little bit about uh, selection bias problem. I mean, you have a mechanism in a country that leads to civil war and a mechanism in another country that doesn't. For example, it's very easy in the early 90s to find quite people saying, Yugoslavia is going to burst in pieces and where it's going to start is in Macedonia. And Macedonia is the only place where there hasn't been uh, people saying, well, Serbia and Croatia are better grounded historically than Macedonia is a total power uh, game. So the mechanisms are there and they grew up. So how do we deal with that issue? I mean, that, that is a challenge in this kind of project, right, which is very um, problem-driven. I mean, you, you've touched on sort of one of the, the, the weaker parts of the kind of the design in this project. It, it, it's, I said we weren't trying to try to develop a generalized theory of transnational civil conflict. So essentially, I brought together a set of scholars who were already doing work on various aspects of civil war. Uh, and we, we don't have sort of a, for the project as a whole, a perfect research design or a research design that allows us to control for that, that kind of potential problem. Um, what we do have, though, is people being very attentive within each sub-project. Okay. For example, uh, say Kristen Bach again. She's, uh, what she's doing in her project, she's sort of running the whole argument, looking at the causal mechanism, seeing how it connects the transnational element to domestic dynamics in, in Chechnya, and then, but also sort of asking, sort of asking the counterfactual, well, if none of this transnational stuff was there at all, would it, would you seen different, how would the dynamics have been different in, in Chechnya? Okay. So at least within particular projects, we're dealing somewhat with that problem of, of uh, does the causal mechanism matter or not? Um, but the bigger issue, it, it's, it's hard to deal with in, in the project the way we set it up. It's like Romania has a spectacular diaspora. It's not as hungry. Right. Uh, and there's been no work in terrific attention there right. and no war. Right. So that would be a case of dealing with your transnational issue. Right, yeah. No, a good point. Um, I saw Bear next and then Rick. Am I missing anybody over there? Okay, so Bear. Right, right. Um, so that those were a couple of 
with quick reactions. Now, given given that thought, I wanted to, to press you a little bit on, on the, the character, unsurprisingly, maybe on the characteristic of, of correlational uh, approaches to causation, um, which I, which kind of reminded me of you know a friend of mine who once said you know I, I watched Fox News, I saw a Fox, uh, you know, which, which was a, a documentary. Uh, showing kind of the, the, the most egregious excesses of, of Fox News, which, was, which is not. But, uh, and I think the, the human characterization of, of sort of, of, of the causal understanding of, or sorry, the correlational understanding of causation is certainly, the, the way that you describe it certainly is fair describing Hume in that he really saw you know, once you observe a, con a constant conjunction between a couple of events, that's what he understood as a cause. Um, Hume is three centuries ago. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's very subtly said I'm just three centuries no, 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 behind no, 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 my literature no, no, review no, no, here. There are you do you do you do see occasionally that there are pieces that will crop up. I mean, the the Beck King and Zhang piece on neural networks. You know, it sort of. It, 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 came out as just very atheoretical and very, you know, sort of like you will find, you know, this conjunction mm -hmm. these things and here's this relationship and it's, it's remarkably theoretical, but, it, but that stood out in my mind as being unusual in, in modern quantitative literature. Most of them, I think, start with uh, at least some inkling of, you know, a process story where they can be critiqued, I think, is that they'll take just an observation find a correlation, declare victory, go home. Um, where, you know, and that, I think, is a, is a fair critique. But, but, uh, but isn't that what much, I mean, I guess you don't, I mean, isn't that what, when I read the quantitative literature on civil war, that, that's largely the kinds of arguments I see being made. Well, but I think there's a difference between saying that, you know, the observation of a correlation is sufficient to establish a correlation, which is huge. Right. And the observation of, of correlation is sort of, uh, you know, necessary evidence okay. once you posited for, uh, causation. Okay. Um, okay. Which is how these later studies are Okay. Um, fair enough. I, I probably shouldn't have brought up some yeah. guy from three centuries ago who yeah, was no, 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 no. um, uh, but um. What troubles me, though, and I guess I, I should have, what troubles me about some of the Civil War literature is the use of statistical techniques connected with causal mechanism argumentation. Okay, there I think there is a bit of a slippage, um, or, or they're, they're overstating what what the technique and data allows them to say. Okay, and so I, I, that that's my concern. Okay, again, starting at the beginning, you know, start only showing beginning point, the end point, you know, without illuminating any points in between right. in the process, declaring victory and going. I think that's absolutely a fair criticism. Okay, that right. you know that, that statistical studies very often don't show any links between x and y. Right. Right. Um, but that, that's really what I, I'm trying to say about okay. it. Okay. So I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't no, have I said. Think, I think hmm. we're more on the same page. Yeah. 
Okay. 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 Um, I saw Rick next, and then, then you. So directly relevant. Well, so one, I agree with Rick in the sense that a lot of case studies and Bennett and George Bond have been ruined in that division. A lot of case studies just show the presence of the independent variable and the presence of the dependent variable. They actually don't get it right. So a lot of qualitative work is just correlational. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I could do that statistically. In fact, I probably want to do it statistically. So 
So I'm looking for evidence of a mechanism, but I'm using statistics. There's no, it just mm -hmm. depends on what the mm -hmm. empirical implication mm -hmm. is, whether a qualitative or quantitative approach is appropriate. Mm -hmm. So I, I have the same reaction as, as Greg in that regard. Um, um, is it on this one? Okay, okay. Yeah. Who, who are you, by the way? Tim, sorry. Wow. <laughs> is it on, on this? Uh, and there was one, one back here, too, if it's on. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, Who are you, sorry? Oh, Bob McMahon from history. Okay. I was just wondering, in terms of your, your use of causal mechanisms, whether it wouldn't be useful to be more precise about which causes you're trying to identify. Because it would seem to me that there's a range of them from why civil wars began, yep. why they last okay. as long as they do. Onset duration, spread yeah. That's a really good point. Um, and actually, just quickly, um, there was one. Let me. I, this is. You had a question, right? Let, let's get this on the table, and then I'll, I'll give a collective answer. Yeah, go ahead. And who are you? Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, but really quick, or the title or not, I can't answer any of these really hard questions. But okay, who are you? Sorry. Okay. So mm -hmm. emphasizing the conditions under which 
will be more, maybe more contextual, more middle range, but it will also give you an idea of how you want to separate mechanisms from your variables. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can I <laughs> answer now? <laughs> do, do I have really, do I have one minute? Or do we have a sheet? Okay. We, we've outlasted your moderator, so go. <laughs> we got rid of Ted, so we can now say the truth. Do you guys really like him? <laughs> He's a great guy. Great guy. Um, these are excellent questions, and really, I mean, they are excellent questions because it is a project in midstream, so they're helping me really go back and think and try to make some things more clear. Um, but just a couple of a couple of responses to the, the things that come up the last five minutes. Um, one going to sort of the Rick and I'm sorry, I forget your name. Uh, Bougie. Bougie. Uh, the questions are sort of what do we get theoretically right? Um, and, and, and I guess Rick's question was, I mean, how do we get, what was, how do we get theory right? Um, yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah. And, and it's essentially, um, okay, one thing you can do, which we are going to do very loud and obnoxiously, well, I shouldn't say obnoxiously loud in this project, is to say, actually, this is, we should be rather modest of what we can expect of, of, of empirical social science, and it does not need to generate <laughs> If it generates the kind of stuff that you described, Rick, okay, showing the causal complexity, leading to particular outcomes, that then cannot simply be translated around, we have to be modest and accept that. Okay, that's one part of the answer. The second part of the answer, and it never really fully addresses John's concern, um, but it gets into this middle range theory, and I, I kind of downplayed that here because I'm having my own kind of dilemmas with middle range theory these days because I just, I find it as a, a bit of a buzzword again that this sort of captures this sort of sense that there's some stuff that comes together and in a middle range sense, right, not broad general theory but not just accumulating list of, of mechanisms captures a range of outcomes. And, you know, George has written about it, and we have some stuff in sociology. Merton, who about, first sort of brought it up 50 years ago. Um, I mean, one thing we're trying to do in this project is go a bit beyond middle-range theory, okay? So what we have towards the end, not in the individual chapters, but it's Andy Bennett, actually, this work on typological theorizing, which is essentially sort of a an update on middle-range theory, thinking about how certain sets of causal mechanisms go together to explain certain kinds of outcomes. And this actually goes to your question. We, we purposely didn't, because um, the Civil War literature has kind of understandably sort of divided itself in this question of onset duration uh, resolution or whatever the term is, right? And we actually didn't want to impose that kind of because we thought that led to some rather artificial divisions in, in sort of how people were thinking about the Civil War. And so we, we avoided, or I avoided imposing that um, that kind of language on the project as a whole, but individual people, so when they start a particular puzzle or, or chapter, right, they, they're very specific about what aspect of it they're looking at and sort of what are the mechanisms that work there. And then it's a responsibility of a couple of these chapters at the end to look across all the stuff and begin to try to systematize it a bit. Um, so that's how we deal with that question. And then really finally, the I guess last, the um, quantitative qualitative thing that's a very good set of points. Um, you know, what 
what are the appropriate methods for measuring mechanisms? I basically implied to you, I think that's what you're telling me, that it was qualitative, right? Is it, you know, ooh. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't quote my paper, damn it! I wrote that three months ago! Oh! But let me go be further than that. Because um, we actually, it's a really good point you raise, and, and I have to get this better than, than what's said there. Um, I'm fully aware that, as I guess it was Alex or whoever made the comment, that, that statistical techniques can play some role in, in getting these observations right that can be critical for, for establishing the presence, the role of a causal mechanism. Um, and, and, and in the project, I didn't talk about it, and I forget if it gets mentioned in, in the, towards the end of the paper, we do have one um, uh, chapter essay using agent-based modeling, right, uh, which is a, is a very interesting, interesting computational technique you can actually use to map out a potential sequence of, of events that, that, that are consistent with a kind of, or consistent with, a, in this case, a me causal mechanism of learning, okay? So we're actually using in the project, I mean, people think of ABM as kind of quantitative, quasi-qualitative. I hate it when people say ABM. I don't know what you say here, but I, as a person in the Cold War, I resent them stealing my acronym, anti-ballistic missile system, ABM, ABM. So we actually we have the ABM uh, as, a, as a part of the project where they're very explicitly um, using that technique to, to measure mechanisms. Um, but it's a set of comments well taken that I actually have to um, do a bit more on, think a bit more about. Okay. Thank you very much.